You may have got the, um, the idea that we're looking at the Psalms over the summer, and you'll be correct in that idea. For the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at five totally different types of song, uh, Psalms, and we've not picked the easy ones. So if you think summer is going to be just full of nice, bright, cheery Psalms, some of it will be, some of it won't be. And can I recommend a book to you? I don't often do book reviews, but this book is really, really good. And I will give you the copy afterwards, so you can come and get it, Andy. Keep on promising that I'm going to give this to Andy. It's called Deep Calls to Deep. It's a book by Tony Horsfall. And it talks about various different psalms. It goes through psalms that are about when everything is good. And that's a bit like what one of the psalms we're looking at this morning is, when, when things are good with God. But then it also takes a look at some of the psalms that are really difficult. Some of the Psalms where it says, you know, where is God? Where is God in all of this? So don't read it if you want to sit by a sun lounger and want something nice and relaxing. But if you want to grapple with the Psalms this summer, I'll recommend it to you. I'll leave it around just after the service so you can come and have a look at it. Can we pray again? And then we'll, we'll start to unpack this Psalm. Lord, I want to thank you for the Psalms. I want to thank you for the inspiration that they give us in how to praise how to pray, how to be real with you. And I want to pray that as we look at this great psalm of praise, this psalm that that just encourages us to come and give our whole lives as an offering of praise to you, Lord, would you inspire us this morning? But Lord, help our praise not to be superficial. Help it not to be something that we do when we're feeling okay and then something we switch off when everything falls apart. Lord, root us deeply in you, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you're anything like me. It's lunchtime, you go to the fridge, you're desperate for some inspiration of what to eat. You open the fridge and you hope that somebody unknown to you is going to have put something interesting in there. (laughs) Do you ever do that? And you think, I just can't face another ham sandwich. So I'm going to look for the fridge for inspiration. And you look, and there's nothing there apart from two eggs, a bottle of milk, and some other very boring things. Do you ever get bored with daily routine? Come on, be honest. Yeah? The sort of rigmarole of getting up every morning, having a wash, cleaning your teeth, doing whatever you do for the day, getting back into bed, going to sleep, eight hours, 12 hours, 18 hours if you're off school at the moment later, you then do the same thing all over again. And it goes on and on and on. If we analyse our life, a lot of life is stuff that we have to do, isn't it? Stuff that if we don't do them, we end up in real problems. You know, if you decide you're going to take a sabbatical from breathing, you're not going to last very long. If you decide that actually some of the things in life like food and water are going to go onto the optional pile of life, you're going to come unstuck pretty quickly. But there are things in life that actually are options. Who here has hobbies? I'm guessing most of us put our hands in the air. We all do things that we enjoy doing. We don't have to do them, but we enjoy them doing because they're fun. Who here does things like make meals that you like rather than because they're a necessity? I do that. I make meals that sometimes are really bad for me, but I enjoy them. And I do it because I want to eat it, not because I need it. And it poses a question for us as we start this psalm this morning. Where does praise sit in your life? Is it something that is absolutely essential, like air and water and food? Or is it an optional tag-on extra that you do when you're in the mood? Is it something that you do when you open the fridge and think, 
Shall I praise God today? Yes or no? Or is it something that is absolutely essential? Well, this morning as we start looking at the Psalms, this, this amazing collection of hymns and poems and songs of praise, you know, they're very real. And we'll find this. We'll find that the writers, it's David this morning, King David is the, the author of this Psalm 145. But the various authors, they, they don't shy away from life. They don't put some kind of veneer or gloss over it. They treat life as it is. And this psalm, Psalm 145, is quite an interesting one. It's what's called an acrostic poem, which means that in Hebrew, each verse starts with a different letter of the alphabet. Now, I can't read Hebrew. I don't know if anyone else here can. But in English, we lose the effect. But that's what's going on as you go down this psalm. It's really cleverly written. And it's actually quite a sunny psalm. It's a psalm about praise. It's a psalm where praise is essential, where God is remembered and seen for praising him, where we can find things to praise. But it's a life that also has prayer at the centre. But there's absolutely nothing superficial about this psalm. And some of the questions it poses, I actually think, are really difficult for us and really soul-searching as we look at it this morning. So we start off in this psalm by praising for what we see, praising for the visible things that God does. But before we actually get to there, we get verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 starts us off with personal praise. David comes to God, and the only thing he has to say in verses 1 and 2 about God is that he's the king. Now, David is the king, but he's saying, actually, God is the king over him. God is the king of the universe. But these two verses, they don't give us any reasons to praise God other than he's God. That's the reason for praise. If that's all there was in this psalm, the reason for praising is that God is God. And then we get to verses 3 to 7. And we start to see that we've got reasons here for praising God. Verse 5, it talks about God's wonderful works. The things that we can see and know that God has done. Now, though it doesn't mention it directly here, I think actually with all the talk about power and goodness and works, it's most likely that David is thinking about God's creation. Just look outside for the minute, if if you would. You can probably see some plants and the sun and the trees. It depends on where you sat in the church. You can see things that God has made, the wonders of God's works. It's amazing, isn't it? And David is saying, you know, let that be turned to praise. As you see what God has made, as you see what God has done, turn it to praise. Give it voice, speak it out, celebrate what God has done. Have that heart response inside you that says, I want to praise God. I want to give God glory because of what he's done. But David may have something else that he's thinking about. He may also be thinking about the wondrous works that God has done in the events of history. Things like the Exodus, you know, when the people of Israel came out of Egypt into the Promised Land. Things like when, you know, David is the David of David and Goliath. Do you think he sometimes praised God for what happened there? Things about how he came to be the king of Israel. All types of stuff that's going on in the background. But God is God. God is good. He's worthy of praise. One writer puts it like this. God's power is good and God's goodness is powerful. I like that. I'll just say that again. God's power is good and God's goodness is powerful. So for David, you don't start praising by just reflecting on your life. You don't start praising in the circumstances that you just find yourself in on the 31st of July. 
You start by looking around and seeing everything that God has done. You know, we knew the sun was going to rise this morning, didn't we? Who praised God when they saw the daylight this morning? Anybody? A few people. Brilliant. We see the rain. Who praises God for the rain? You'd be praising an awful lot if you praise God for the rain. The crops that grow. When there's new birth. You know, we praise God for the wonders of his creation. Creation is God's first missionary. Because it speaks of God. It shows us who God is. Romans 1 verse 20. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. Points to God. Points us to him. Now, I don't know where you're you're up to in your faith this morning. I don't know where all of you are up to. I don't know whether you're in a place of great confidence in terms of God, whether you just have a heart's desire to praise him, or actually whether you're in a place of doubt. Whether you're thinking... My circumstances are difficult. I'm really not sure. But actually, this psalm is an encouragement to start praising because of what we see. Look, see, praise. That's the encouragement that starts here. Praise on what you see. So we don't praise just looking at our circumstances, but we praise because of the bigger picture. Now, we could say, well, that's nice and easy. Let's move on. But actually, I don't think that is easy at all. Have you ever found yourself in a really difficult situation and tried to praise God? Is it easy? Praise becomes a sacrifice, doesn't it? Praise becomes something we do because we still know that God is God in spite of what we're going through. I think it's one of the hardest things for us as Christians to know how do we praise when we see a world where there's violence and suffering? How do we praise when just this week we've seen terror attacks in churches in France? How do we praise when actually life isn't as sunny as sometimes this psalm would have us feel? But you know, the psalms as a whole wrestle with that. The Bible wrestles with it. There's a passage, I'm just going to read it from one of the the minor prophets, Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3, it says this. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines... Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. If all our praise is just based on what we see and it stops there, actually that is quite difficult. And we'll see this as this psalm goes on. There's more to praise God for. It needs to be deeper rooted. I was out walking in Dunham Massey um, the other evening with Nathaniel. And I don't know if you've seen these things growing around the place. I know Irene has because he posted them on Facebook. Can anyone tell me what that plant is there? Giant hogweed. Now we were looking at, me and Nathaniel were looking over onto the river Bolin off off the um, aqueduct where the canal goes over it. And Nathaniel says, what are those massive plants? And it looked like something out of Day of the Triffids, you know, these huge things down there. And I said, oh, those are giant hogweed. Don't go near them, because if you get the sap on your skin, it causes massive blisters to form. You can end up in hospital, and then when they've gone down, if the sun gets to those things, they'll burn again. And Nathaniel looked at me and said, Dad? So I think, oh, yeah, here's a question coming. Why did God make them? Why did God make plants that all they do is cause harm. 
Massive question from the, the mouth of an eight-year-old. But it's a reminder. It really reminded me. You know, we live in a fallen, broken world. We live in a world where even the goodness of God's creation has been marred by sin. Where even the creation itself is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. Romans 8, verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. What we can see, the creation, is a starting point to praise. But the visible, if we're not experiencing God, is actually not enough. Because it won't be long before in the created world, because of the fall, because of everything that has gone wrong, we start to see things that disturb us. We start to see things that cause us to ask questions. We start to see things that are far more serious than actually than giant hogweed. And we start to say, God, why? Why is this happening? Seeing God in creation without knowing the God of salvation that Habakkuk talks about is like hearing a fascinating, disturbing question without being given the answer. But you know the good news is God has given us the answer. The answer is found in Jesus. And we need to know him and be rooted in him and know God personally. And so the psalmist carries on. We've looked at seeing, reasons to praise because of what we see, and now we go on to reasons to praise because of the character of God. Psalmist starts to talk in the plural here. I don't know if you noticed that when it was being read out, but he started with I, and then it moved to all, and then it talks about lots of different people, and then it goes back to I again at the end. But this word all appears 16 times in this psalm. And he's now talking about the various characteristics of God. Verse 8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. John Calvin, um, the great reformer, he said that is the best explanation of the character of God that we find in one verse in the Bible. It's a bit of a condensed version of Exodus 34, verse 6. But it's amazing. It talks about the character of God. Now, this isn't something you can see just by looking around you. It's only something we can know by getting into God's word and by knowing Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And then we get a whole barrage coming in of the different things that God is. There we go, we've had that one. Verse 9, we get his compassionate again. Verse 10, he's the creator Verse 11 to 13, we start to get the talk about the kingdom of God, this everlasting kingdom. Think ahead to what Jesus will have to say about the coming rule and reign of God. Verse 13, God is faithful. Verse 14, he lifts the broken. Verse 15 and 16, he's the provider. And verse 17, he's righteous. All these things that talk about what God is like. But you know, even that is not an exhaustive list, is it? It's just what David happens to think about in this psalm. And some of it is purely about God's character. What is God like? Well, he's gracious, he's compassionate. That's what he's like. But some of the things are things that he does because of his character. He's the provider. He lifts the broken. He lifts the fallen. And as the scriptures unfold, we see, you know, God is the one who is on the side of the oppressed. He's the one who's on the side of the poor, the widow the orphan. It's all linked with God's character. Just a reminder this morning, you know, we're called to be all of that. We're called to live out the character of God, aren't we? We're called to bear witness to who 
God is. So praise here is not just rooted in what we see, but in the very nature of God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who is made known to us in Jesus and present to us by the Holy Spirit. Is it easy to praise God because of his character? Yes. I I believe it is. But I believe there's still a question mark here. And I think the psalm then goes on to answer that question mark as we go through. This side of eternity, you know, our capacity to understand God is always going to be limited. Look what Paul says at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, don't we? That prayer that the things on earth that we see are not always as they should be. And we pray for God's rule and reign to become here and now. So what happens to praise in this psalm? What does praise lead to? Well, it leads to prayer. Praise takes us on a journey. We go from what we see to then what God has revealed about himself to then praying that actually God will continue to move. Why do we pray? You can answer that. Any answers? Why do we pray? Speak to God. Want him to move? To see God's will fulfilled? To listen to him? Stand in the gap for others? Intercession? Yeah? Jesus told us to. Brilliant one. Come on, a couple more. Ask for help. Because we love him? Spend time with him? Thank him. How much of what our prayer actually is, is because we see things and we think actually this isn't the way God wants them to be. A lot of prayer is that, isn't it? We've talked about God changing things, about God's kingdom coming. Yes, there's prayer, there's prayer of thanks, and it's really appropriate that we do that. But a lot of prayer is actually, we see things and we think this cannot be on God's heart. This cannot be, your kingdom come, your will be done. So we pray it, and we pray for situations. You know, we prayed this morning, haven't we, for healing for people. We prayed that God will intervene in situations. I'm thinking about my own personal prayer life. You know, I pray for forgiveness when I've sinned. Because I know that the reality in my heart isn't the reality God wants there to be. I pray when people are ill. I pray for situations. Your kingdom come. Your rule and your reign be evident. And look what this psalm says. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. So an interesting link there. Call on him in truth. We don't pray according to our ungodly desires, but we pray according to who God is and who he's told us he is. I went bowling last Friday. Um, Tempin bowling, not crown green bowling. And that's not me, by the way. Now, when I go bowling, I tend to do either one or two things. I tend to either manage to get the ball right down the middle and everything scatters and I get a strike, or I do exactly the same thing and it goes into the gutter. So it's either I get everything or I get nothing. 
Is anyone else like that when you go temping bowling? Yeah? Yeah, quite a few people like that. I don't know why that happens. It must be because I just put such force into it. It can't just go one angle or another. But we, we were on one of these deals where we could play. I think was it was two hours we got to play for. And at the end of two hours of this bowling, I'm starting to get a bit bored. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, actually, that there isn't really a lot to this, this game. We've not got any really keen temping bowlers here. Because I might offend you by what I'm going to say next if you're a professional temping bowler. Go on. But if I was going to take it really seriously, this game, I think I'd want a few more rules. Because it is just literally that. Sorry, Sheila, I look like I'm bowling towards you there. And let's see if we can scatter those, those ten pins at the other end. And that's it. That's the rules. That's how you play it. There isn't much more to it. You know, and that's the same with a lot of sports, isn't it? If I went on the football pitch with a tennis racket, people would think, what on earth are you doing? Those are not the rules of the game. If I went on the snooker, what do you call it? Table. (laughs) Snooker table with a tennis racket. Again, people would be thinking, what on earth are you playing at? You've got to do things in the way that they're meant to be done. And prayer, David says, has to take into account the revelation of God. We pray according to who God is. It is not for us to suggest amendments to God's character. It is not for us to come and say, actually, God, you're not like you revealed yourself to be in the Bible, but in fact, you're rather like this. To David, that is a nonsense. We pray in truth. We pray according to how God has revealed himself. Look what happens when we pray. Verse 18. David says, the Lord is near. When we were asking that question, you know, what is prayer for? A number of people said it's about being close to God, about having relationship with him. The Lord is near. Verse 19, he fulfills the desires of the fearful, of those who fear him. That link between knowing who God is and desires being filled. Not our selfish desires, but desires according to God's kingdom and God's rule and reign. Verse 19, he hears our cry and he saves us. Again, it links it in with salvation. And he watches over us. He watches over those who love him. Praise leads to a place of understanding. And praise leads to a place of prayer. When we pray, we know the care of God. We know the fear of God. We know that God saves us. We know that God watches over us. The answer is to prayer for salvation. Prayer leads to praise as we see God's character come to existence. But there's a condition here. If you've got the um, Bible in front of you, just have a look at verse 20. It's the only verse of this psalm that is a bit difficult, in a sense. Because it talks about the wicked being destroyed. And we can miss it if if we're not careful. And it's two questions, really. Who are the wicked... And what is their destruction all about? Well, in this psalm, we're not told any more than that. This is not a psalm of David that is going to go on to some kind of treatise about the wicked. But I think his point is simple, actually, when you put it in light of the rest of the psalm. Praise and prayer are due to God. All praise, all glory, all honor is due to his name. And he longs for us to come to him in prayer. But some people won't pray. Some people won't see what God has done. Some people won't accept the revelation of God in Scripture. 
And David says, actually, there is destruction for people who won't do that. There is that separation from God. But David doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us on that slightly gloomy note about the wicked. In fact, he brings us full circle. And so we end up back with personal praise. And we've gone round full circle. We start with personal praise. We then praise for what we can see. We then praise for what we know because God has revealed it. That praise is then turned to prayer and we go full circle back to to personal praise again. And so in a sense, what this psalm is, is a journey of praise leading to prayer. And so I want to ask you a question. Where are you today with this? Which category does praise sit in? Is it in the essential part of your life? Or is it in that optional part of your life? Is praise dependent on who God is? Or is praise dependent on what you're feeling? Or perhaps this morning, you're good at the praise. You know, you don't find it difficult to sing praise to God. You're quite happy to come into church and sing your heart out. But it's actually not leading to you being on your knees in prayer. There's an encouragement there. You know, praise needs to lead us to prayer. This is what David is saying here. David would encourage us to praise continually, to let our deep-rooted praise go into the grow, into that full blossom of prayer. Look at verse 21. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you call us to a praise this morning of, of praise, a place where we look and see what you've done, a place where you have revealed yourself to us through your word, where we can know you in truth. And Lord, I want to pray for each of us here today that that praise will be a journey for us. It'll become an essential part of who we are as individuals, as a church. That we won't praise just because of our everyday experience, but that our praise will be rooted into you. And Lord, as a church, may we be a church who who not only praises, but who that praise leads to a deep, a deep, deep desire to seek you and pray. Lord, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen.